0: Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Laura Mayer. She is an author, a speaker, an occupational therapist, and has founded a healing mythology of soul dancing, which we'll talk about later in the show. Hi, Laura, welcome to the show.:
1: Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on.
0: Very excited to have you here today and to have you share your story with our guest and share some of the things that you've done to find your own healing and your own purpose in life. I know that you wrote an amazing book, Unlocking the Invisible Child. And I'd love to talk more about that, but before we go there, can you share with the listeners a bit about your background and history, maybe how you grew up, maybe some early life things that impacted you, those types of things?
1: I would love to because that really is the unfolding of my story. Um, I was actually diagnosed at the age of 14 with a progressive degenerative neurological disease that the doctors at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City said would progress and I would lose one millimeter a month of muscle Mm. in my upper extremities and it would continue to go through my body. All right. And that there was basically nothing they could do. You know, I was your typical teenage girl and <laughs> lived in we had you know, I lived in New York, we moved to the suburbs of New Jersey, I was a tour leader, I was athletic and pow at fourteen that was all taken away. Wow. Um, major, major life change then mm-hmm. and felt very, very left out in terms of you know, I couldn't play gym. Everybody played gym. You know, everybody did gym class. I couldn't. I couldn't go skiing. I couldn't play tennis. I couldn't do all the things that that my friends were doing, my peers were doing. I was a cheerleader. I was very, very into art. And within a year or two, that all ended. So it was uh, pretty restrictive, um, and emotionally, psychologically, physically. I, you know, I. <sighs> I lived in survival mode i had mm-hmm. i had to learn how to how to cope i mean you know as a kid, it just happens to you it happens mm-hmm. to you, mm-hmm. and you don't quite understand why it's happening to you it's just happening to you right right and, um in, you know in retrospect i did the best I could. Mm-hmm. I went to college. I actually went to college and I went to New York University to become an occupational therapist, which, you know, in retrospect, I can say, wow, who goes into OT when they have a disease that landed lands in their hands? Because OT is all about hands, right? right. Hands on, you know, rehab. So, of course, now, you know, looking back, I know I was just totally, totally guided right. to that profession, which really was a mirror. It was the greatest mirroring for me to to function, to learn, to be aware of every little thing that I was ever to do. It's really gorgeous. And, you know, now it's gorgeous. Then it wasn't. But anyway, I went to school. I went to graduate school. I became an occupational therapist. I had had three surgeries when I was a teenager um, to no avail. They thought maybe it would help the progression, maybe, you know, if something was being blocked um, in what they call the brachial plexus, which is the shoulder area, the shoulder um, clavicle area, mm-hmm. that I would um, have some relief to the numbness, tingling, and um, um, muscle wasting that I had. Well, that didn't work. So, you know, for years, all I got was, all I received from my doctors was, keep your chin up, you know, there's nothing we can do.
0: Right, right. So
1: by the time I was, I was 26, I was living, I'd moved to Boston, I was working at Tufts New York Medical Center as an occupational therapist, and I ended up meeting the hand surgeon at Tufts, who decided to treat me like a hand patient and not a patient who had a disease in their spinal cord, so in their spinal column. And we then proceeded over the next 10 years to do 15 reconstructive tendon transfers. By the time I was 26, my left hand was paralyzed and my right hand was losing, had lost I would say 80% of its muscle strength. Mm-hmm. So I was really working on empathy, And yet I was working every day as an OT. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but but I am blessed that I was, you know, courageous enough to, to keep
0: going, keep going, keep going. Right, right. That makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about, before you go further, that age of 14 is such a tender Age, You know, you're you're learning so much about yourself, about the world, you're growing, you're confused, your hormones are flying. What do you think you really brought from that experience during those years that you had this first diagnosis? How did that impact you as far as the character built within you and, and the things that you learned about life that you carried forward?
1: That's a very good question. You know, at that age... And actually, before that age, and I'll share something, and it is in my book, um, and it's very profound, and it's something that I have been able to um, understand and hold in the last six years, seven years of my healing process, was that I truly believe I called in the disease. I was nine years old. I was lying in my bed in my brand-new suburban house, And I felt very, very alone. I was used to sleeping in the same room as my older sister. And here I had my own room, and here I was feeling very alone. And what I did, of course, I didn't know it was the universe at that time. I spoke out and said, I want to be in the hospital. Because if I'm in the hospital, maybe the Beatles will come and visit me, and somebody will love me.
0: Mm -hmm. Four years
1: later, I ended up in the hospital. Mm
0: -hmm. So there
1: was already this sadness permeating my soul by nine years old. Now, granted, I love Dr. Kildare. I always wanted to be a nurse. So I gravitated to the hospital scene. You know, recently I channeled in this whole piece about nine years old, you already knew that you were alone and disarmed. And I have never, ever used that term before. Never have I said the words disarmed. Now, clearly it was a channel message. Clearly it is what happened to me. I became disarmed. So you asked that question. I would say that I forged forward in my sadness, in my fear. I was not a great student at the time. I was so concerned with just being loved. Mm -hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to have a boyfriend at that age who fed my soul, who did not make me feel like I was, you know, damaged. Um, Thank God for that. Um, I was very involved with art, and I think the art kept me alive, even though I had to give that up also. So it was very, very, um, (sighs) it was
0: a really sad time in my life. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that that love part because a lot of us have gone through those feelings, those stages of not feeling loved, not feeling worthy and of course I believe it goes back to self-love but when you're a child there's some people that have been truly loved and cared for by their caregivers, their parents and they still don't feel the love and they have to work towards self-love and all those things and, and feeling valuable and there's other kids of course who don't feel loved and cared for who aren't so what was your circumstance like and and what are your thoughts on those two dynamics
1: well i am i totally agree with you cuz my work is all about original wounding and it's all about having the courage to love yourself mm-hmm. and it's all about dismantling okay really being willing to relinquish all of those traumas and dramas that happened to you in your first seven years of life, which is all based on your primary relationships with your parents. Mm -hmm. So that's my work. And I do know that I did not feel loved the way I required love. Mm -hmm. And that is my story. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And I do believe that the disease... That I trust, I called in. And now, of course, whatever karmic piece is there and what the you know, what's my role this lifetime to work through was all there for me. And I did not grow up in a home where there was unconditional love at all. So I was grateful for friends and um, outside relationships that fed that me. I don't know that I would have survived. I did. I do feel, and I wrote about it in my book. There's a chapter in my book that the disease gave me the courage to survive. In some way, this working for myself, this having to go forward and sort of survive my way through, um, actually fed me. Mm-hmm. Actually, helped me to to actually you know do very well in life as an OT. Even, <laughs> even with, um, you know, the stealing of damaged merchandise and, and, you know, gradually really becoming very disabled. Absolutely the most, compo- the, the most important component is that piece of love. And I work with people every day, and it's all about the invisible child, all about that child that didn't feel loved. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean your parents didn't love you. That means they, for whatever reason, karmic or otherwise, were unable to love you vibrationally, energetically, the way your soul needs to be loved. Mm. That's huge, yes. and that is what work. Is about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I've been there, done it, and I worked as it with it as an occupational therapist. I work at it. I work with it. I'm sorry. Now in my spiritual work, and I know that is critical. And it's not about blaming. It's not about bad guys, good guys. Right. Is we all come in. We all come in with our own traumas. And and that understanding without anger, to, with compassion to understand why, and to allow and to open and to learn not to take things personally, um, it's huge. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as, I... a, as a teenager, it was very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, today, I get it. And I feel blessed as a result of it.
0: Right. I think that obviously it takes a sense of maturity to understand the things that you're talking about and to get through that healing process that includes forgiveness. Can you speak to the audience a bit about that part of your journey? Was there any forgiveness needed towards yourself or others, towards your parents? And what did that look like for you?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I tell all my clients, I tell everybody, healing is forgiveness. Healing is awareness. Healing is about letting go, stepping out of your way. Willingness, willingness, willingness to let go, willingness to let go of the drama of your childhood story and to rewrite it. So... Very, very important. And a lot of it is based on forgiving yourself Mm -hmm. and who you are. I mean, if you don't love yourself, you're not going to ever be able to love another in a true, unconditional way. Mm -hmm. And as you love yourself, it becomes easier to see others. and, And this is their journey. This is their journey. And when you learn to love yourself, you stop taking other things personally. You recognize it's not about you. Yes, you may have been the fallout of their dramas. Mm-hmm. And you, as an adult or as a child who is guided by their adults, okay, by the adults in their life, you can change that. You can change your story. I did. I changed my DNA. I changed my entire story. Mm-hmm. And I tried. I can do it. Anyone in the world can do it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just
1: leanness. so many people hold on to this childhood drama the patterns the belief patterns that they that they're holding on to on a cellular level and it's easier to remain angry and yet the reality is it isn't. It takes a lot of energy to be angry. Right. It's a lot easier to be in forgiveness and generosity. Mm-hmm. So you know, I learned that. I learned that around. I learned that you know through the process. I, in my own healing, got involved in deep, deep, deep energetic inner child releasing, mm-hmm. and I knew that was the primary issue for me, which is why I called it in. But forgiveness is key, and not. You know, it's really deep forgiveness. It's heart, it's solar plexus forgiveness. This is not, okay, I forgive and we're spiritually bypassing. This is really getting in there to the core. Right. And understanding what forgiveness looks like on a core level and, and doing, I call it an archaeological dig, really get in there. And when I started to do that work, I literally watched my body transform and my heart transform. And when I started to release all of that, and, you know, by the time I was, after 18 surgeries, I was, I had zero muscle strength in my hands. I was done. I was exhausted. I, I was done in terms of being able to function in this world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I watched, it took a couple of years, and I watched my heart heal, which I knew at that point when my heart healed. My body would heal. Right. And you know, even though I will always have the sequela, okay, the aftermath of 18 surgeries and bone fusions and tendon transfers, I will always have that rigged up sense of, well, let me not put that out there. Whether I have or not doesn't even matter because my heart is so healed and I am so balanced in in that in my own right alignment of who I am, nothing else matters. Right. And that grace, that's forgiveness. Coming back to the East Coast, I'm sitting here talking to you from the East Coast. I'm actually sitting in my parents' house. I came back to the East Coast after writing my book in California because I knew I was to come back to the East Coast and show up for my mother who was sick at the time. In a way that she never did for me. I knew that was part of my transmutation. That was part of my healing. And I did it. I did the work. Mm -hmm. So very, very, very critical. Yes. In the process of overall cellular healing. From the core, from the core, from the core.
0: (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. And And I agree with what you're saying. The importance of that and the work that's needed And as you mentioned, it seems easier sometimes to stay stuck in the old story and to live by the old self and the old routines and all the things that aren't working for you or serving you. But in reality, there's so much more when you go through the healing. Though I know that some people look at the healing process and there's so much fear in going there. Mm -hmm. And some people start Mm -hmm. the healing process and it's so uncomfortable that they right. stop, so how did you experience that yourself, this fear, if not, how, did, how do you help others deal with it, if you did, how did, how did you deal with it?
1: I cried, okay, so, so after, you know, right by my 40th, I was told by my hand surgeon, 43, that I needed to stop working as an occupational therapist. Because I would have hands at 50 if I didn't. So that was a huge choice point for me. Because being an occupational therapist gave me a sense of functioning. It gave me a sense of not only being, you know, I felt like damaged merchandise. So this gave me a wonderful sense of self. And that was huge for me to stop working. And I went into a dark night of the soul. And then what happened was I got very, very involved in Jewish renewal. It just was led to me, led to me. Now I'm Jewish by religion, but I don't, I'm not a practicing Jewish person in religion. I just got deeply involved in the spiritual part of that, okay, which is, you know, consistent with any spiritual beliefs. And I learned, and I learned to open, and I learned to, to see things differently. And, by the time I was 50, it was actually 10 days before my 50th birthday, I had a um, a reading by a medical intuitive shaman and uh, clinical psychologist from NYU. So it was really perfect for me because she was bridging both sides of you know the medical the spiritual, which is what I do. And she basically said to me, you'll heal. You will heal and you're a master healer, master teacher. And I believed her. I believed her even when I didn't trust it. I believed her anyway. Mm-hmm. And what I, said, what I said was, I'm done. Either I heal or I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I can't live like this anymore. I am exhausted. Mm-hmm. My adrenal glands were shot. I'm exhausted. I mean, I've been living fight, flight, compensating for 40 years. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. That was really the major opening to my healing on a
0: metaphysical level. And, you know, I, that was, so that was almost nine years ago. Was there any fear along the way for you in this oh my healing God. process?
1: The and- fear, the fear was, was two-sided, which is very, very interesting. A, what if it doesn't happen, you know? And B, what am I going to do if I heal? <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I know that sounds funny. But it wasn't. I I don't even know what it means to be normal, quote unquote. And what am I going to be like? So when I work with clients who are in marriages that don't work or have diseases, emotionally, physically, whatever, um, they're like, well, I don't know what's out there. And so what I did through the tears, through the years, was I just learned to trust. I learned to trust. I learned to trust that there's something bigger than me out there. I knew there was something bigger than me out there. And I opened to that. And Mm -hmm. every year I opened more. And every year the trust showed up. Every year it got stronger and stronger. My fingers started to open. I was in a total claw position. My fingers, physically, I started to show the healing process. When I got scared, I said I was scared. Mm. When When I was tired... I cried. I allow the emotion to come through. Right. And that is so important. Yes. And what I tell my clients all the time is there's no hiding. Every part of us must be seen. So I would sit there and look at my hands, and I would love them. I would tell my hands, I love you. I love you. Because if I love you, you will love me back. And I really believe that. Mm -hmm. I believe I don't even believe it. I know that we are to love every part of us. And in that love, we become whole. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do. That's what I did. That's what I do with my clients today. And even the parts that we want to hide away. There's no hiding. Because if you're hiding, you're putting that message out to the universe that you're not worthy of being seen. And we are all worthy of being seen. And it's really being seen from the inside out. So fear, you work through your fear. You allow it. You acknowledge it. You don't run from it. You say, yes, I am scared to death. And yes, I am willing to work with my fear. Hmm. And you bring it up to the surface. You bring it up to the
0: surface so it doesn't eat you away on an energetic level internally. Love it. Very powerful. Very powerful. And of course, we could talk about all of this forever, but we have to continue on. So, why don't you share a little bit about the book before we talk about some of your healing methods? Tell us a little bit about Unlocking the Invisible Child.
1: All right. Well, I think I did some of that by sharing that I know it called it in. And it was really about a my process, my healing process and I really felt that if I could heal from this level of disease and my emotional sadness that I always felt, I always felt that I had this, I was never depressed but I had this um, sort of this pervasive sadness of not belonging. I just didn't belong here. I didn't belong in my family. I didn't belong. And that not belonging is so common with people who are who are spiritual, who are light bodies. So it was that feeling that I I knew it was my lifetime to work through. And in writing the book and sharing my story and sharing how I stepped into, well, let me rephrase that, how I stepped out of the medical box after 40 years and 18 surgeries and into this world of metaphysics, of alternate healings, of you know, nutrition of all of it, all of it outside the box, the whole spiritual, metaphysical, alternative healing. That's what I was willing to step into because I knew that I had exhausted the medical field. I will, you know, we need both. We need both. I am not one to say, forget the medical field, only the spiritual world. I don't believe that. I'm a bridge to both of them because I think both are important, Mm -hmm. and especially in our 3D world that we live in. But I had exhausted it and I knew that. So it was really about my opening to these, to this other, these possibilities. And the more I opened, the more I read, I mean I spent hours and hours and years reading everything I could get my hands on because it was helping me to believe something that I wasn't even aware of. I mean, I was a clinician. I was brought up in a clinician's home. I am a clinician, a practicing clinician for 25 years. I had to step out of that mindset and open to something very, very different. And that's where the willingness comes in. That's where the opening comes in. And that's critical. And as I opened and I as I started to trust that, wow, there's something bigger than me in this universe. Mm-hmm. I don't have to know what it is. It's unforeseen, so you know, unforeseen forces out there that if I trust, that's all I need to do. And I did. I did. Unbeknownst to me, I did. And the more I did that, the more I was able to connect the dots, put the puzzle pieces together of my life and why I would go into OT, why I actually have the disease in the first place. It all, it all started to feed me. So, you know, my biggest message to everyone and, you know, my clients, but everyone, is to be open and willing, open and willing. You don't have to know what's going to happen. That's not your job. Right. That's the universe's job. You know, on my website it says, all you need is courage and tenacity. And watch grace take your hand, because it will. If you let the universe know that you're willing and you're open, the universe will take your hand,
0: and boy, you will live in grace. That's right. I totally agree with that and have experienced that myself. And and I just love everything that you're saying, because hopefully someone out there who's listening to this show will be encouraged and inspired to take that step, to open their heart and their mind to let things evolve and happen because there's so much more that life can give us. There's so much joy and happiness and peace and grace and all those good things and love if we just allow it and invite it and open ourselves to it. So I, I really am encouraged and inspired by your message and your book and your website that it will help many, many people Can you talk a little bit before we wrap up about soul dancing and some of the healing transformation mythologies that you use?
1: Well, what I do, and soul dancing came to me one day. I channeled it. And, you know, one of the greatest gifts, and, and so listen to everybody, one of the greatest gifts is that as I started to open and heal, I was gifted with this level of intuitiveness and channeling and mediumship that I never would have received if I didn't open. And so I see that as such a tremendous gift back from the universe for my courage to step up to the plate and heal. So in that, what happened with soul dancing is it just came through one day that we all have a right. We all have a right to our own soul dance. And in that soul dance, you know, I just, I went to another place where I started to see children, the children inside the adults. I children who are stuck. Um, and I've been able to just, you know, know, no, just know where the original wounding is, at what age, and where it falls in your chakras. And that's been a tremendous gift back. So the practice is all about um, relinquishing those, those original wounds. You know, people call me with diagnoses, all sorts of diagnoses. And I'm like, you can tell me. But we go below, we go to the root. And as a developmental therapist, this happens the first seven years of life. Mostly it happens between 18 months and four years, the first original woundings, okay? Mm So soul dancing is really about reclaiming your dance, your authentic dance. I am a certified facilitator of soul memory discovery. Which is about, uh, re- you know, really looking at the cellular and soul memories from this lifetime, in between lives and past lives, and then what I do from there is really bring it to childhood in this lifetime, we look at the bleed through from past lives, but we look at this lifetime and what happened in those critical, critical, critical years that you're still holding in yourselves. Um, the traumas and dramas, you're stuck in yourselves. You know, thank you, Bruce Lipton, Dr. Bruce Lipton. You know, change your beliefs, you change your biology. Mm-hmm. And I am an example of that and we all can be an example of that right. if you spoke about are willing to go into the core and do the work. There's no spiritual bypass in here. You've got to do the work. And it is the greatest work you'll ever do. So much of my work is based on that. And then, you know, it's about the children, whether it's our children or other children. What an amazing gift we bestow upon our children by allowing us to get out of the way, be in our freedom and grace. And then we have an offering that, oh, I can't think of anything greater. So soul dancing is really the head of my, you know, is my heading of my practice. Mm-hmm. Practice is really about coaching your, your inner child to wellness. And um, as a medium, as a, as a channel, you know, I, I, I incorporate it all. Mm-hmm. And for me, the whole piece here, and, and this is my heart all the way, I believe that if I can heal, anyone can heal. Anyone Right now, a lot to heal. <laughs> I really did. It's really about having the courage and it's about not giving up. It's about believing that you have a right to be here the way you want to be here. Nobody else. It's reclaiming you. You. And what do you want? So the first question I ask potential clients, what is it you want to release?
0: Mm. What
1: is it that no longer works for you? And then we go in. We go in and do an archaeological dig. And it's gorgeous. Mm. And you just have to want it. You have to believe you're worthy. Right. there's something you want, you have to trust that you can
0: reach that star. Right, right. Absolutely. I I totally agree with that. Very encouraging, very hopeful for for many people who are who are at the edge and ready, ready to go there. Right. So how would people connect with you? Where can they find a copy of your book and learn more about you and engage with you about services and those types of things?
1: Well, you can connect with me at my website, which is uh, www.dancingheartdancinghands.com. And you could forward me a message. You could buy my book on my website. Um, and if you do that, you get a channel message with it. Or you can purchase it at Amazon.com. And oh, let me just say something else. What I also do as a gift, because it's always a pleasure to be seen and to be, to be invited onto radio shows. Anyone who is listening, um, I offer a 20-minute free consult. Um, to just see where you're at. And it's just my gift back to you. Wonderful. So if you're interested in a free 20-minute consultation, coaching session, contact me through my website, and it's my joy. It's my joy.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much. Laura, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your amazing story with our listeners at Your Story Matters. I know that from my own experience, when we're able to learn and heal from our story and then share with others, we are truly living out our life purpose, and I know that's what you're doing, and it's such a blessing.
1: Thank you so much. It's always a blessing, always a pleasure. And, you know, life is about living joy and gratitude, and I live that 24-7, and we all can. And that's what the universe requires right now. So let's go, let's do it all together.
0: So thank you so much. I agree. Love it. Thank you.